right? God is so good because this morning he's just setting stuff up. Don't you love that? It was like this song, which is to me, in my mind, it's Jamie's like anthem song. He is, where is Jamie? I can't. Okay, you really can't see from up here. So um, it's funny, but it's like Jamie's anthem song is like he is doing something. He is healing something. Like I hear that anymore and I think Jamie. Like I just think that. So I'm praying over you, praying over you. And would we as a body, would you just commit in the next 24 hours to lift her up and go before her at her doctor's appointment and before her and just be praying? Would you guys do that with me? Thank you guys. That would mean... A lot to her and a lot to your your church family. Because when one of us suffers, we all suffer, right? I mean, that's how that works. We're supposed to, like, carry each other in joy and in sorrow. So we want you whole and healthy. So I was noticing just all the little words, the things that were being said. It was like the Lord was just like, see, I'm just seeding something. Thank you very much. I'm seeding something that I've already done. I've already seeded this day. I've already seeded this time. I know who is able to be here in this house of the Lord this morning and who's not. Like who's on, oh, I don't even have, oh, I do have my phone on me. I don't, um... Like, I don't know who's, who's online, but hey, guys, welcome to King's Church this morning on here. And I know there are some people that are online this morning because we have babies. Don't y'all love babies? Like, can we just give, like, God, like, just thank you, Jesus. Thank you for babies. And so we have, like, people with brand new babies at home this morning. And, um, and so they're watching. Jessica is watching for the comfort of her big leather couch. She has a really big, really comfy leather couch, which eats me every time I sit on it, but you just want to like curl up and doze off. So no dozing off. You got to stay awake. But it's just like this, the God knows he's like doing something and he's been doing that since the beginning of time. Like he's been planning things. And I want to spend a little bit of time this morning in the book of Naomi. You guys know where that is? You guys re- ready? The book of Naomi, Right. And you giggle, a very nervous giggle, I might add. <laughs> like, wait, Meg, you're up on stage, you should know this. And um, we're going to be in the book of Ruth this morning. And it's funny because um, some of you guys know me really well, some of y'all don't know me super well, um, we're still getting to know each other. I am learning to try to slow down. I'm going to work on this, but maybe not this morning, okay? So I'm really, really trying because I do have a lot of comments that people say to me, and I think it was from years in radio, where it's like, you know, you only have like 30 seconds, maybe three minutes, and three minutes is a really, really long time, and you got to say as much as you can super fast, and hopefully you guys stay with me. But I will try to slow down a little bit because I want us to understand something this morning. I love the Old Testament. It is my jam. Like, I love when people get up and they share about Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love when there's like the New Testament, there's the fruit and the, and the meat and the steak and the freedom to eat bacon. And it's all in the New Testament. And I love that. But if you ask me to teach on something, I will probably turn us backwards and say, let's go Old Testament. So I think I've pretty much done that. I'm positive. It's pretty much every time I ever speak. We're somewhere in the Old Testament. And the other thing I do want to do, because it's like an elephant in the room, is I'm a female, and I don't always preach on women. I don't feel the need to always preach on women. I think that we preach the Word of God, that the Lord says, preach on this, correct? But it is Mother's Day, and I was scheduled six months ago to preach on this day, and then I realized 
a while ago. That's Mother's Day. I think I've preached both Mother's Day. Next year, somebody else gets to preach on Mother's Day. All right, <laughs> Sasha, we'll do that. But one of the things I was looking at, I was like praying about it. I'm like, okay, Lord, so, you know, no wait there at all. It's Mother's Day. But, you know, what are you saying to your people? And he started speaking to me about something from a seed that was put into my life um, several weeks ago, about a month ago. And he started speaking on something. And I was like, really? Because it's like a woman on Mother's Day. Like, you know, huh. How about that? And he was like, I want you to look a little deeper at this. Let's look a little deeper. So I want us to go a little deeper into the book of Naomi. And then, I know, Ruth, Ruth. But I just want us to turn there, if you'll go with me this morning. I have verses that will be up there, but we're going to do some back and forth a little bit in this. So hopefully, I stuck blue sticky tabs here so that you guys didn't have to wait for me to find stuff. But in my Bible, I'm on page 283. So you guys can just turn there really quickly, and we're going to jump into the book of Ruth. Because here's my thought. Ruth would not exist without the Lord having seeded stuff ahead of time for generations ahead of time and putting in her place this dear, wonderful, beautiful woman of God, Naomi, who I believe has gotten a little bit of a bad rap. I think we've misunderstood her a little bit in our culture and the way that we have read into who she is. And so we're going to jump in and we're going to look at that. But if you've gotten to Ruth 1, go back a page and we're in Judges. See how easy that is? Woo. So if you're looking at the books of judge, the books in the area of Judges, the people of God had walked away much from what the Lord had intended. He said, do this, this, and this. And they said, wow, we want to do our own thing. And so I'm looking at this thinking to myself, COVID, life, 2021, that seems a little close to home in my heart. And I believe, this is what I want to throw before you, I want to propose something this morning, that God is calling up Naomi's, that may be men or women, by the way, but we're going to talk to women specifically. God is calling up Naomi's in the world today. Today is the day to return home. Judges 21, 25, the very last verse right there. And in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound at all familiar? One more time. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Well, Brad stood up a little bit ago, and he was sharing out of David's heart, right? And David was a king of Israel. So very quickly, somewhere between judges and when you get to the king David, something shifts in the storyline, right? God is doing something. He's preparing something. But the very end of the book of Judges tells us that the people ending the book of Judges were in sin. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. When I do something is right in my own eyes, it doesn't usually turn out well for me. I don't know about you. Usually at some point, Brad ends up coming to me and he's like, we need to have a talk. It's not much fun. It just isn't. But what happens when the Lord looks at you and says, we need to have a talk? We've gotten a little veered off course here. So I think that's where the book of Ruth starts, right here. The Lord looking at his people and saying, we're a little off target. We need to pull back in. Let's look at here. Let's run through this story. We're just going to look at the first part of Ruth here. 
So Ruth 1, Naomi is widowed. We already know the outcome of the story right now before we even get to it. That's the title. Naomi is widowed. In the days, and this is not going to be up there, by the way, because um, did y'all, whoa, backing up, totally forgot. Did you guys get handouts? Did y'all do that? I love handouts. If you don't, can somebody, maybe a couple teens or someone run up there? There's handouts. I think Bill may have them somewhere. Um, Okay. Can you guys just pass out the handouts? I um, like teaching. And when I taught, I found out that handouts help people focus. Instagram and Facebook gets put down for a little bit. You know, you don't need to take pictures of me anyway. So, you know, um, we don't need to have other stuff. But if we have the handout, it'll just keep us going in a little bit. So, we'll, guys, I didn't give y'all first part of Ruth. I just didn't. So um, you don't need to pull it up because I'm going to in and out talk about that for just a second. In the days when the judges ruled. So judges, look, we just finished judges, correct? Right here, judges ended. People were right in their own eyes. Funny little note right here. Our Bible puts Ruth in this place. If you actually go to um, a Bible that's not for Protestant Christianity. Ruth is actually in a different, completely different place of the Bible. It's completely moved for different reasons, which I thought was interesting. But I kind of like this version because we end with judges. Then we go in here. And in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine. Famine. Famine is a sign of what? Judgment. There was judgment on the land. Why? Backing up a verse. In those days, there was no king to Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Oh, you're doing what you want to do. Okay. There's going to be a disciplinary action that happens, right? So with my kids, I often look at them and I'm like, dear one that I love so much, if you can't self-discipline yourself, I, your mother, will have to discipline you until you can teach yourself to self-discipline, right? Until that. So discipline is often a result of being undisciplined in some area. So the people were doing what was right in their eyes, and there was a famine. Are we confused at all about where we're going? No. Okay, good. Going in. And the man of Bethlehem, a man of Bethlehem in Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. We're going to actually see sojourn later. It means temporarily. So it wasn't supposed to mean a permanent move elsewhere. He was going temporarily to the country of Moab. So on your handout, there's a couple things because I love these. This is really cool. I think when we start to look at the book of Ruth, God was saying, I want you to understand a few things with all these words. These are not accidentally put in here. If it's in here, it means something. So number one, right here at the very top was this man. Who is the man? We meet his name just a few little bit below. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. So that's number one, Elimelech, which means my God is king. So let's go back over here to this last verse in Judges. I really want y'all to get this right here. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, including Elimelech, who knew who the king was. His name pronounced it. Do you see it? His name was, my God is king. There was a king over Israel. There was a king over Israel. That God was king over Israel. God was to be the provider. God was to be the one that they disciplined themselves to so that he would provide for them. But in the end of Judges, we see that they had become an undisciplined people. And I don't believe fully that Elimelech believed his own name. I don't. 
So let's keep going. So he is a man of Bethlehem. This is ironic to me at best. Bethlehem means house of bread. There was no bread in the house of bread. They were hungry. So Bethlehem, all right? And the name of his wife was Naomi. We'll get to that. I think Naomi is way, oh no, write down the next one. Naomi means my joy, my bliss, or the pleasantness of Jehovah. Now, I just want to pause there for a second, because like I said, I think this book is all about Naomi. I think that we see a Naomi who is in the background, not manipulating the circumstances, but on her face before the Lord. She is honoring she is submitting. She is obedient. Even to the point of doing something, I would wonder, this is just my question on this, I would wonder if she's stepping into things that she thinks this may not be the right thing to do. But she was, by all accounts, if we go by her name, she was a beautiful woman. And I think as we look at her in the book today, we're going to see that she was just as beautiful in who she was inside as maybe the pleasantness that she carried about her in her name. But she had a, was this wife to this man. So you have this beautiful, my joy, my God is king. Everything looks like it should be going well for them according to this. And then they have two kids, which is a little funky here. They have two sons. One of their sons was Mahlon, and the other one was Kelon. Mahlon. It means sickly. Kelon was pining or wasting away. Now, if we believe that as when you kind of start looking up names in the Bible, that people are named out of a circumstance that's going on or something about them that's a prophetic thing for the future, right? So these circumstances that are going on, these kids weren't so great. I mean, poor Mahlon. I mean, you're just sickly. Every time I look at you, you're sickly. You're sickly. Have you guys ever seen those things where people talk to their plants and there's two options? You say really loving, kind things to the plants or you are like, you're ugly. You're going to die. I don't love you. Have you seen them? Google it later, not now. Google it later. It is weird, but they've done these tests and the plants that are like talked loving to grow and the plants that are like despised on literally shrivel. So what would happen if every time I looked at my son, I was, hey, sickly, yo, sickly. Hey, I need you to come here, sickly. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that, does that get into their head? I mean, this is a little bizarre. You know, these, you have this woman who's my joy, my bliss, and she, they name their kids these not-so-great names, which seem very prophetic for their future because, you know, they don't make it so long. So they're hungry in the house of bread. There's no food. And Elimelech makes this decision. We have to leave. I've got to take care of my family. I need to do this. I need to pull up my own bootstraps, and I have to make a decision to take care of this. And he heads out, right? And I think sometimes in my mind, when I've sat in this before and just read through it, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. There was no bread in the house of bread. They got to go take care of this. Unless I look at this through the eyes of the historical context. And I'm like, so Moab means waste or nothingness. So you're going from the house of bread to waste or nothingness in order to find bread. Does that seem to me like A plus B equals C there? 
It seems off, doesn't it? But he's like so desperate for food, so desperate to take care of his family. He's willing to step into a place that God specifically has told the people of Israel, do not have anything to do with these people. They came out of sin. The history is really interesting on them. They came out of sin. They are known for a people born out of the old word fornication. Like, there are people born out of sin. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't intermarry with them. This is not good for you. The king of Israel, God, the ultimate king, had told them this. And Elimelech said, I'm going to do what I need to do. And we're going to take it out of here. We're going to go hunt down bread. And in that place, not only did he turn his back on God in doing that, then he allowed his, his sons whom he loved, I'm sure, as we all love our children, even if you've named them very bizarre names, that he took them and said, men, find some wives. I mean, there's nothing saying here that they didn't like the wives or that it was a bad thing. They just, they got married. They were allowed to make that decision for themselves. Again, something else that we don't normally see in the culture of Israel. They married two women. And one of those was this woman named Ruth, which I thought was really neat because I've always heard about how Ruth means beauty or lovely, but it also means companion and friend. She would turn out to be quite the companion and the friend in this vision of beauty. And in the end, we name the entire book after her. But my thought process this morning is that Ruth would have had no one to have been a companion to for it had not been Naomi walking in obedience before the Lord. So we've gone through this. They walk out life for 10 years together. They live life. We've been married almost 21 years. 10 years is a good chunk of time. They've lived together. They've eaten together. They've, you know, been together all these years. There's not any babies. That's a little bit of a long time. I'm just going to say that's a long time for that to have been any kids from anyone. And then they die. And then we enter into part two, right here on your sheet, the grief and the homecoming. I can only imagine for Naomi, here she is out in this place. She's completely abandoned. She's sitting there at some point going, I can't provide. And there is no hope for provision. There is no hope for anyone. I left the land of my family and I went out of the land and there's nothing for me here. Why am I here? Why am I willing to live in a pigsty? Not really. Sound like another story. But why am I willing to live away from the heart of my father, from my God and from my people in order to stay here where it's hard and it's desolate and there's nothing for me here? Why am I here? I need to go home. I need to go back to my God. So then we look at this. She looks, they walk out of town. We walk out of town. Let's walk, jump into Ruth 12 right here. I think this is interesting because we start to see the battle that's going on in her heart. And she has these two women, two sisters, if you will, that are with her. And they all start to leave. They walk down the road. And she turns to them and she says, turn back, turn back my daughters. So she puts them as two daughters, two friends, right? Which that kind of makes me think of two other sisters in the Bible. I, I was just processing and thinking it through and I was reminded of Mary and Martha. 
and how two sisters that ha- came at the same situation but saw it through very different eyes, right? And, and I think these two girls here, they see it through very different eyes, the situation that's going on. But, but they have the same words said to them. So Ruth says, turn back, my daughters. Go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I could give you a husband this night and, you should bear, and, and, and would bear sons, would you therefore wait for there to be grown? No, I'm old. That would take forever. Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, you're not going to wait until they grow up. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Right here, I think we see a clue on how she felt about the whole situation, the whole thing. I don't think she was in the dark. The hand of God has gone out against me. I've sinned. We've sinned. We left our people, we left our fathers, we left our inheritance, and we walked away from it, and it didn't go well for us. There's nothing for me. I can't provide for you here. I can't provide for you there. Stay. Then they lift up their voices and wept again. These women like to weep a lot. You know, girls do that sometimes. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. You know, it's interesting to me that I think bitterness often comes through disappointment. She was like, she was disappointed this hadn't worked out. She's disappointed that her husband made kind of a calculated guess and it didn't work out for them. She's disappointed that her sons are gone. And when we're disappointed, bitterness is right at the door knocking, right? But I think sometimes bitterness has a seed of like... What's the word? I just lost it. Self-protection. Sort of a sense that I should be given more than I'm getting. I deserve this. I did what I needed to do to provide for my family. And it didn't work out. I have nothing left. So go on. And Orpha looks at the whole situation, and there's a little bit of earthly wisdom to this. She's like, dude, she has nothing for us. We just need to go home. And she turns and goes home. She does the commonly thought right thing to do. She was like, I got my gods. I got my family. I don't know about y'all. Y'all are a little crazy serving one God over here. And this just doesn't work for me. And I'm going home. And she turns and goes, right? But she does the right thing. She's honoring her mother-in-law in a sense. Yes. She said, go. You told me to go. I'm going. Okay. Go in peace. And then there's Ruth. And Ruth is like, no, no. And Ruth makes a declaration that through the ages, I think is one of the reasons that Ruth goes from a part of this book to, ooh, the name of the book. Because Ruth does something that was unseen of there. There was no provision in those times to go from living in Canada to America. There just wasn't. There wasn't a provision in those times to live from Canada to Mexico. Where you were born, who your people were, those were your people. Unless you were taken over, ravaged out, and then pulled along and put somewhere else, you didn't just move in with another group of people. It was like unheard of. So she's like, I'm going to turn my back on everything, and I'm going to go and be presumptuous a little bit that your God's going to be my God. Will he want to be my God? Will he? She didn't even think about any of that. She was just like, I'm heading with you. I'm committing with you. And in that, I heard the Mary-Martha battle right there. You know, Martha was doing a good thing. She wants to feed people. She wants to take care of people. She was concerned about how everything looked and that it was done the right way. And she loved Jesus. 
And Mary wanted to worship Jesus. She wanted to sit at his feet. She wanted to put a ring on her finger and stay right there. I'm not talking about romantic sense. But this, I am going to bind myself to you. I want to be there in life and in death. And we see this in Ruth. That's what she says. I want to be here in life and in death. I bind myself to you. I mean... This is far before that, sisters. They don't have the New Testament. But even Naomi at that point was like, whoa, all right, girl, let's go. So they go on, right? But I see in this that her heart was reaching a climax to what her heart could handle on her own. We were reaching a point where it would either be a brokenness of this woman or a submission and a realignment of her heart. And I don't know about y'all, but I've asked people that story this last week. Several people tell me, when was the climax to this battle for you? What happened? How did you live through that? How did you submit to that and come out whole on the other side? If you have a chance to ask people and listen to their stories, you will be astounded at what the Lord does in people's hearts when there's actually that shift. It's a beautiful thing. I'm honored when people share their stories with me. But here we see Naomi at this climax, and it goes on. Let's jump into Ruth 1, the 19 to 21 down there. All right. So the two of them went on till they came to Bethlehem. Again, they went back. Ta-da! The house of bread. They're back in. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. I mean, they were like the gossip of the streets. Everybody knew. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I think it's a theme, something she's kind of meditating on. I mean, that's pretty much what she said right above. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Twice she's mentioned bitterness here. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. You know, it's interesting how her, I think her identity of what fullness changed. Because when she was there before, she thought she was empty. She needed bread. She needed provision. But she had her family. She walks away and has provision and loses her family. And comes back empty. Back into the house of bread. Back into the place of provision. When the Lord has testified against me, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Jump down to the bottom part of 22. They came in to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Y'all, I loved this. I was like, ding, 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 barley harvest. Barley harvest. We're going to jump really fast. I want us to jump to Deuteronomy. We're not going to read a whole lot, but just, you don't have to go back too, too far. You can sing it out loud if you need to get there. Genesis X. Okay, you can go there. Deuteronomy 26. We're going to jump through a couple of verses here. When you come into the land the Lord is giving you, whoo, as an inheritance, y'all, she's going back into the land the Lord had given them as an inheritance to claim her inheritance or do something. But she had left her inheritance when she walked away. And she's going back. When you come into the land of the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken pos- possession of it and live in it, You shall take some of the first of the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Jumping down, I want this, at the partway through five. Um, And he went down to Egypt and sojourned there. Sojourned. Remember that? Temporarily went. Does this sound at all familiar? 
all right? She left temporarily, and she's coming back in a place that in her heart, there's no hope that there will be the inheritance that she left there because there is no male line to carry on, and there's no way to have a male line. It ended. Her inheritance has been squandered, given away, lost in her own mind at this point. This is the bitterness, I believe, that's there. It is, it's like the shame upon the shame for a family line to have ended. And she knew when they came back in at the beginning of the barley harvest that in this, they, they were just finishing up a very important time. Right here, the offering of first fruits. That first fruit that it's talking about, that's the barley harvest. That is the barley harvest. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it, you'll take some of the first fruits of the ground that you harvest. So they all knew this. They would all go out and there would be a bit of that barley that was then taken into the temple and put there as a first fruits offering and offered back to the Lord for that barley harvest. The barley was the first of the grains to mature in a, in a season. So the barley would happen and then it was like chink, chink, chink for like five other things. But they would take the barley in and they show up right at the beginning of the barley harvest. The symbolism there that they had already, the priests had already taken in that gift, and now everybody was working on pulling in the harvest. I mean, it was like all hands on deck. We got to get this in. Let's jump. All right? And we're still in Deuteronomy, right there, down into eight. And then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, jumping into nine, into this land flowing with milk and honey. There was the provision. The Lord said, if you do what I ask you to do, I will provide for you. Ten, Deuteronomy 26.10. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit to the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So here they are. She walks in. The barley is coming in. It is all about the provision, and it's all about submission. It's all about obedience. And Naomi cries out, just change my name. I ran away from the provision. I ran away, and it didn't work out for me. So she says, change my name to Mara. I think this is interesting. We're going to jump back here to Exodus 15, 23. Can you go there with me really fast? What does Mara mean? We all know it means bitter, but I had this distinct feeling that something about the name meant a little more than I understood. So I started doing a little research here. And this is interesting. They had just, we're in Exodus, and they had just parted the Red Sea, and they had walked through it. And I mean just. This is like the waters are splashing behind them nearly. I mean, it has just come back together, and there was like this huge miracle. And they're like, oh my word, this is amazing. Thank you. And they're walking around for away from the Red Sea three days. Three days. How, how long does it take for you to forget the blessings of the Lord in your life? How long does it take for me to forget the miracles that the Lord's done in my life? Well, the people of Israel, it was three days. All right? So <laughs> right here, and in verse 21, they're like, sing to the Lord for his triumph gloriously. The horse and the rider he is thrown into the sea. I mean, do you remember those visions of that? I mean, it's the churning water and the hoofs and like, you know, the whole thing. Three days, three days. <laughs> and they're thirsty because there's no water. They just left the water. P.S. They're walking away from it into the desert where there's no water, and they come across a place named Mara that they could not drink, so we're in verse 23. They couldn't drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, like, Lord, these people, 
It doesn't matter what I do, it's not enough. We just split the Red Sea. And they're already thirsty. It's only been three days. Do they really need water already? I mean, as a mom, sometimes I wonder at dinner time, you had breakfast and lunch. Do you really need dinner right now? I mean, seriously. You know, they say that dogs don't need to eat as much as they do. Sometimes fasting is really good. And, and I've been studying some on intermittent fasting for adults. And, you know, let's just skip this one. And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water. I mean, some seriously weird stuff happens in here. I don't know what that log is. It's an amazing log. It's not the log, right? It's the obedience of the behavior. When the Lord says, do something, we do it. And he honors our obedience. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, if you will... Guys, we just read this a minute ago in in Deuteronomy. Here we are again. If you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ears to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Your healer. And Naomi had two sons that she named really sad, horrible names, and those guys pined and wasted and died. How could she not see it as as a little bit of a judgment call here? That's their culture. You know, I think she gets a bad rap. It's funny, though, because if we look at Job, Job did a similar thing. And I'm pretty sure that Naomi is the Bible's female Job right here. Job did a similar thing. His plea of innocence, his heartfelt questioning of losing everything— I mean, it's just sad. It's sad beyond sad. And this is where I think we judge her a little bit. Let's all jump into Job really fast. It's on page 537 if you need help there. And Job 10, we're going to just jump in because somehow when we look at Job and he starts whining, we have sympathy. He's lost everything. It's really hard. And he's like, I plead to God, I loathe my life. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Now, in this, if you remember the story of Job, did Job do anything? No. There was a little bet that had happened. Satan's like, I bet if you let me take everything, he's not going to honor you. And the Lord's like, I don't think so. And he's like, this is Meg's version, by the way. And he's like, yeah, really? Because I think if you let me take everything, he's not going to honor you. And God's like, I know my man. He's going to honor me. He was like, well, let's try that then. And thing after thing after thing died off in his life. His kids, his wife. And he cries out here to the Lord. This is bitter. This is hard. Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a man sees? Are your days the days of man? I mean, just scan this at some point, y'all. And were my head lifted up, you would hunt me down like a lion. I mean, he's like, I'm hiding I'm broken. And he has these really great friends. There's three of them. We can talk about that at another time. But one of his friends, Zophar, jump into 11. He's just heard all of this. I mean, Job is bemoaning life a lot more than, um, than Naomi did so far that we've read, by the way. But Job is bemoaning life. And Zophar looks at it and speaks and says, you deserve worse. I'm so thankful for friends like this in my life. 
11.5 right here. Oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom for he is manifold and understanding. I agree with all of that. Here's the last part. <laughs> know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. <laughs> oh my word. Now, which of us honestly without the Holy Spirit and Christ in our lives could not say that about ourselves? You know, we all exact less than our guilt deserves because it deserves death. It's the ultimate judgment. Who am I to stand in a place and say, you know what? I don't deserve this because I kind of deserve all of it. But God, but God. And I think at Job at this point and Naomi at this point, they were in the valley of grief. It was overwhelming, questioning, painful grief, the dark moments of the soul. We've all been there. What are the responses that we turn to? Right? So Job's friend, I mean, that was really encouraging. But Ruth, Ruth was there. And she had faith in Naomi. She saw something in her deeper and more stable than all the years of her own history could tell. I mean, this girl had grown up as a Moabite. She knew her culture. She knew her gods. She met her husband. And somehow I wonder if it was as much her husband that wooed her into that family as it was her mother-in-law. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's a little sickly. You know, that doesn't exactly like portray this amazing, stout, strong stallion of a man that just swept her off her feet. I'm not sure there. But she saw Naomi, this a person that she could live with and she could honor. She didn't share in the judgment because she knew Naomi's heart. Naomi's words were speaking one thing, but she's like, I know the real you. I know who you are. She didn't know who she was in many ways. This girl didn't, I mean, she knew who she was, sorry. In many ways, the girl didn't know Yahweh at all, but she knew Yahweh through Naomi. She knew the God that saw the beginning from the end because she saw who Naomi was. So Naomi has a choice here. She's standing on this little apex of the climax of her story of pain and heartbreak. And I had always thought before the climax was really with the death. And when I looked at this, I was like, no, I don't think it is. I think it's right here. She has a choice. She has an intersection of the intercession of the soul. She can choose to rewrite her identity, which is what she's doing with a new name, to take on something that's not really hers, or she could move on to walk through healing and continue this season of sifting and remember who God says she is. Joy, beautiful pleasantness to Yahweh, Jehovah. You know, in that, I think that something shifted. And whether or not they called her Mara or not in the future, which we will see later on, she, they don't. They don't call her that. There was a recognition that the circumstances had been bitter, but she didn't have to be. She doesn't walk in bitterness. So they go home. They're looking for the provision of bread and the house of bread. And with each step that Ruth took, it was predicated by the wisdom of Naomi. Naomi in the shadows. In a sense, she was not that manipulating mother-in-law who's like, do this, do that. There was like a, a brokenness before the Lord, like, give me wisdom. I know this culture. I know this God. I know what should be done, but I have no ability to do it on my own. 
So in submission, she shares wisdom with Ruth. Ruth, go do this. Go speak to this person. Go lay here. And she has to then stand back and just wait. Will that be enough? Will her sacrifice of giving her all to this young woman be enough? Naomi chose faith again. She had chosen to believe in the unseen hand of God to provide. And the victory, I think it had already been won there. The victory was won in her heart first. So then there's the fulfillment of faith, right? So we see this, and I'm thinking um, immediately of Song of Solomon because my dear friend mentioned it to me this week, who is coming out from the wilderness, up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved. She was leaning in to the provision of God. God is my king. He is my provider. Regardless of what it looks like, I will push into this. And there we just see personal healing. So I see four things that pop out of that right there. The first one is the personal healing. I'm thinking back to a prophet, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was asked to eat a scroll. If you read that, the book of Ezekiel is amazing. Poor dude. He was asked to do a lot of really hard things. And one of them is that the Lord shows up and says, I want you to eat this scroll. And um, you can look into that later. And he's like, mmm. And he's like, no, eat it. Mm. Eat it. And it's interesting that the bitterness of what he was asked to do, to speak out. I mean, he was a prophet. He had to pull the people back in. He was told to speak truth no matter how much they hate you and how much they despise you. I have given you a bitter mission to go forth and do. But as he ate the scroll and was obedient to the Lord, it says that it tasted as sweet as honey. I think often for us, we can kind of get stuck in that bitter moment. Then to realize the submission to the hand of the Lord in our lives will taste as sweet as honey. When you don't have that block on your heart that you've not submitted, that you've not been obedient, that you've not laid it all down. Job finds restoration after the wrestle of God and faith. He's given back all that was taken. The naysayers in his life, the Lord dealt with that. His own wife hadn't believed in him. The Lord took care of everything. He wiped the slate clean in Job's life, and it was intensely painful. And then he spread back a new blessing. And it was a new blessing for generations to come. It wasn't just a new blessing there. And in that, number two is communal. Do you guys have this up there? Is anybody back there? Because it kind of stopped. I don't think anybody's back there, Pastor Brad. Oh, hey, it is. Okay, ready? We can go on. Do you have it in there or no? Oh, um, the fulfillment of faith, number three. You're good, thanks. Just couldn't see the top of the head. Thank you, beautiful. I so appreciate this. Y'all are amazing. There we go. All right, awesome. Communal restoration. Ruth 4.17, jump there. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. And we're gonna jump into that, but I wanna actually move back because I wanted to read a little more than that. Okay. Right here. So we're actually going to go back to 13. Y'all don't have to do, pull it up there. It's okay. We can all read. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. We got the point. Okay. Going to jump down. She bore a son. Woohoo! It, it all worked very quickly, by the way. Much more than sickly ever did. I mean, there was a son saying that Ruth was not the issue. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you. Do you get that right there? The woman said to Naomi, they didn't say to Mara, they said to Naomi, 
Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher at your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. I love this. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, This son has been born to Naomi. Do you know what that means right there? There's this beautiful sense of adoption into the family of God right here, right? So like Naomi is seen in a communal way as being part of the family. Naomi, I mean, and Ruth, that's what I meant to say, is Ruth is brought in. And there's this adoption into Naomi's line because quite literally, Ruth's son would not be a son of Abimelech carrying on that title outside of the Redeemer, right? So there's this beautiful position right there where the Lord says, adoption is part of my heart. It always is. I always want to pull you back in and redeem you into the place of identity that I made you in the first place. God is king. The woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was right down here. We're going to read this first. General blessing, generational blessings and a royal heritage. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Quite literally, we have this woman who, whether it was in submission to her husband, left their inheritance, left their heritage, and went and intermarried with these people that God said not to. I don't know whether she was in submission to that or whether there was tension in that. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't actually even matter. They did the action, walked away came back and through this amazing ability to set aside, I think, the bitterness of what life gave her, which was really quite the disciplined hand of the Lord that she kind of deserved. But he, she pours this out and steps back into the inheritance of, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. I can do what you say I can do. And Naomi stands at this place at the very end of this book. Not Ruth. Ruth was an obedient servant to who? Naomi, to Jesus. Just like Mary was. She was obedient. She came before the Lord. She anointed his feet and said, Jesus, I love you. And Ruth does that. She's like, let me give my very body in any way to serve you, Ruth. I mean, to serve you, Naomi. And Naomi is fulfilled back into the place to be the great-grandmother of King David, which, of course, is in the lineage of Jesus. And I think that in today's society, it's all too easy, and I love your testimony of BC, because I don't want C to define who we are. I don't want COVID to define who we are as a people. I don't want to change who I am in the Lord because of a a circumstance that's out of a year or a five-year or a 10-year circumstance in my life. I was born to be Megan. My name means pearl or dove. It's kind of like whichever one you look up, it, both, I guess. So people, I love pearls. I've had a lot of people give me pearls over the years. I have a lot of people, nobody's given me a dove. It's okay. Y'all don't need to do that. But, but it's like, I was meant to be who I meant to be. I'm meant to be a child of God who loves to adopt 
children into the family of God, no matter what that means and what I have to give up to do that. And I was meant to be, I forget the word they used when I was in the hospital with Cohen, but it was like a geriatric pregnancy. I think that's what they called that. I mean, I was like, really? I mean, I'm like only 38 here. And you're like, "Mm, geriatric. Thanks so much. But I was meant to wait all those years before the fulfillment of my heart's desire to give birth to this baby. You know, the Lord knew this about my life and it was for my good that he said no again and again and again at times. It is for my good that he puts boundaries on me in pleasant places, but it's my choice to decide, is that boundary a pleasant place for me or is that boundary something that I need to like my goats at our house and our farm jump over the fence? When we left the farm this morning, two of our goats were actually in the neighbor's lawn. I'm so sorry. And, and we didn't have time to get them back. And we just prayed, Lord, don't let them eat the fruit trees or do something stupid and came to church. Because goats do what goats do. They don't like fences. They don't like to be blocked in. The word says that the Bible separates the sheep from the goats. Do you know what like sheep love? Fences. Sheep don't escape in the same way. Like, have you ever seen the little rock walls over in the Middle East that the sheep are in? They're not very big. I mean, they're also like short legs and big bodies. So it's like a little bit of a different setup than my goats. But it's like the sheep stay and the sheep understand and the sheep want to be in the sheep fold. It actually has a name and it's a protective place. And the Bible says, would you please be my sheep? And then he looks at each of us and says, would you feed my sheep? Would you feed my sheep? Would you feed my sheep? And I think that's what he looked at Naomi and said, would you feed my sheep? And the sheep, the one that was in front of her for many years was Ruth. And she did such a good job to feed this one that was in front of her. So I think we've misunderstood a little bit. Oh, I'm a little late. I'm sorry. We've misunderstood a little bit about who Naomi is. There's not a judgment in my heart of her cry for bitterness. There's a compassion that she reached this point where without a submission and a death to self, she could not keep going in what the Lord was asking her to do. And if I would say anything out of this 2020-2021 season, many people have been pushed to the apex of their own hearts. Who do I trust Who do I put my fear in? Is my fear going to be in the fear of a a disease? And I'm not not here politically saying whether it's a real or not. It is a real disease. We have friends and missions all over the world, and there are areas that are ravished by death. There are places it hits much harder than Lexington, Kentucky. But am I going to put my fear and my trust in, in, in that, that desire to run away or to hide? Or am I going to put my fear in the Lord and say, Lord, do you want me to step away? Then I step away. Do you want me to push in? Then I push in. Do you want me to love the one in front of me? And he says, absolutely all the time. Whoever the person is that is in front of you at that moment, that's the one he's asked you to love. There's not a chance that you can step away from that. And I think that's the story of Naomi Love the one in front of you. Minister to the one in front of you and be authentic and vulnerable to the one in front of you. We don't do any of us any good if we put up a wall of pride and we say, I'm great. I'm good all the time. 
and all the time I'm good. Right, no. But I think today there's a question, hey, worship team, I think you guys are gonna totally bless my socks off in just a second, maybe? Please. They've prepped a song that I, I had somebody actually send it to me this last week based on their own testimony of something going on in their life. And I wept through it, oh, I'm 75 times this, this, um, this week at least. But if I could put anything out there and say, this is my heart for King's Church, for the men of King's Church, for the women of the King's Church. I was sitting over and I just started crying when men, you started standing up and giving testimony of the goodness of God. I, I think sometimes in our effort to look at like a balancing act of like the women can be the women and the men can be the men and we want to honor each other. Some churches kind of jump one way or the other and you end up in places where you have these like really like stout women and the men never do anything. They're a little bit wussly. I feel like we kind of looked at a story about that today and it didn't end well. Sickly and puny did not continue the lineage. So when we stand up here and I see our men coming up and they're like, the Lord's saying this to me and I'm hearing this, I want to cheer more, more. You know, I want a place where the men come together and they eat at Cracker Barrel on Fridays. Oh, wait, <laughs> we got that. But I also want to come in on Friday afternoons when I come in sometimes, and I'm cleaning up because they don't always clean up after their breakfast. It's totally okay. But I'm putting the tables back together out here, and I kind of love this because something I see is a tissue box on the table. It's there today. The tissue box is sitting out there. And I do have to tell you that the women all laugh that whatever happens in men's meeting stays in men's meeting. We don't know. I mean, it's a little bit of an idiosyncrasy. I don't think we want to know. I, I, I think they share each other's hearts and they share each other's burdens. And apparently sometimes they need tissues because the tissue box was sitting there and nobody else had been there. And I walked by and I thought, Lord, thank you. Thank you for a group of men who are looking at each other and saying, there's more to you that can come out. Let's give it to the Lord together. And I'm thankful that the church is asking there to be a family of Naomi's that stand up together and love the one in front of them. And in that, we step into that mothering role. And it doesn't matter if you've ever given birth or not, you're called to be a mother in the church. You're called to be a place of influence in your environment, in your neighborhoods, in your children's schools or the school you're in or Walmart. You are called to be a, a influencer in every zone you go into. And there will be hard things that happen to us in our life, but I'm cautious to my own heart to not pick up a name that wasn't meant for me. To hear from the Lord. And this song that they're going to sing to me was just the epitome. If I could give this to my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids, and I won't have a King David in my lineage, but if I could say anything to them, love God and love others. <laughs> 